you know, I've, I've spent my life. I mean, since I was a, a child on a mission of individuality, mm-hmm. on a mission of freedom and choice, and no one was going to tell me what to do. Um, you know, it's like I was challenging authority since I was young. On this week's episode of the podcast, I am joined by Jamie Elizabeth Thompson, whose mission in life is looking at how sex and sexual desire is key to being your authentic self. She believes that you came here to be all of who you are, and sex and intimacy are the ultimate playground of discovery. She has developed a holistic body of work to support women, men, and couples with letting go of limiting patterns around sex so they can have a fulfilling, intimate life and taste their most exquisite erotic expression. She contributes regularly to the field of sex education and pioneering original and lasting solutions for challenges in sex and intimacy. If her message resonates with you today, please connect with her on Instagram at Holistic Sex Coach or her website, Links are in the show notes below. On today's episode, we go far beyond just sex and intimacy, but we view it from the lens of the Enneagram and the type eight challenger personality type. Jamie is an eight like me and has a social subtype versus my sexual subtype, which gives us a clear distinction of who we are and how we show up in the world. I truly enjoyed today's conversation as She was a wonderful mirror for me to take a look at my own stuff that comes up in relationships. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Jamie Elizabeth Thompson. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm honored to be joined from Austin, Texas. Jamie Elizabeth, how are you today? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm fantastic as well. Thanks for joining me. Um, We were talking a little bit before hitting record. My sister lives in Austin, and I haven't gotten the chance to to uh to visit yet yes austin is a very unique and special city that is exponentially growing right now with people who really enjoy things like freedom of choice Mm -hmm. and you previously lived in denver and we got to know each other through traver and perry chase and um honored to know them both as enneagram eights and you're an eight as well so how did you first learn about the enneagram and what was your first impression Yes, Traver and Perry are two of my favorite eights as well. So it's perfect. We all we all we travel in herds. Yeah, like attracts like. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my where I first learned about the Enneagram. Um, I mean, I just remember, you know, in in my work, you know, I work with women and couples and men in embracing and understanding more of sexuality and intimacy, their desire and coming more into their bodies. And on that journey, I've studied many different things from Eastern to Western to mystic wisdom streams. And so a lot of the different typing systems I found to be very helpful as a starting point, as a sort of cosmic address to help people understand and break down exactly where they are located and the patterns that they might be prone to, the ways that they might limit themselves, the ways that um, their personality can actually get in the way of their true essence that wants to come through. So when we are looking at something such as the Enneagram, I look at it as like, this is the machinery 
Like this is, this is the system, the filtration system that your unique version of light flows through your hologram. And so that means certain aspects will be very bright. Other aspects will be, uh, you know, shut down and in the shadows, other aspects will be uh, very edgy and challenging for you. So when I discovered uh, the Enneagram specifically, I just remember reading the eight and feeling like I was completely nailed to the wall. You know, I read it and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely me. And I, and I read it at a time where I had already um, been on my own path of, of integrating and embodiment and transcending a lot of that. So I read it as like, whoa, this has been me most of my life. And then in seeing the, the integration of, of the eight and how the eight, you know, integrates to a two also like seeing, seeing that and, and seeing the, you know, where it goes to the two and the five. Anyway, all, all of that was very interesting to me because, you know, I've, I've spent my life. I mean, since I was a, a child on a mission of individuality, mm-hmm. on a mission of freedom and choice and no one was going to tell me what to do. Um, you know, it, it's like I was challenging authority since I was young and had no issue with that. And, and so there, there's, there are certain pieces of the eight that really spoke to me on, on both the, you know, the, the beneficial side of it and also the, the shadow side of it. And uh, one of the, the shadow sides that I saw personally that I also see in many women that I work with, whether they are an eight or not, but especially for eights, you know, is, is the, the challenge of wanting your man to be the king and, Mm -hmm. and to uh, be someone that you can surrender to, but making that very, very challenging for them. And then even when they are occupying that space of true leadership, that it can be so challenging for the feminine to actually receive and relax and surrender into that space that feels so counter to her personality machinery. Right. Yeah, that resonates with me so much, so much in there, like how it took me a long time to figure out that when I'm integrated, I do have a unique quality to myself. But beyond that, within what you were sharing that stood out at me is that the shadowy part or the fear that comes up for the eight, and maybe you could speak to this as a, as a female eight, the, the fear of vulnerability to surrender. There's also an experience of, you know, where eight, eight, you know, female eights are going to need or any women that are just uh, very actualized in their in their masculine energy, um, you know, women who you know run companies, run families, like really own their life, often have much more of a challenge in surrendering and being vulnerable. Um, and my experience of that is that I'm really good at holding it together. Like I'm really good at running shit. I'm really good at leading. Like I, I have a wide capacity in that. So it takes someone who has an even larger capacity for a, 
younger, less actualized version of myself to surrender to. Now there's, I also don't believe that it's their job to become more actualized in their leadership for me to surrender. Mm. I also take it as my path to learn how to create that level of safety. Cause the secret about eights is they're actually really sensitive inside and yeah. all of that armor is covering up such a deep, vulnerable heart. And at the center of many women that I've worked with who have this kind of imprinting of carrying a lot of armor, you know, being in their power and not being able to really surrender in connection with a man, often there's, or being able to surrender in connection with life. I mean, mm -hmm. this it's like yeah. to actually just allow oneself to be led by spirit or by their soul and allow their, you know, energy to move through them rather than trying to control it all the time is there's, there's a, there's a deep vulnerability in that because their entire life has been constructed through them leading so well. Like they've, you know, like the will is very strong. Like I remember I um, had this moment, you know, in, in a relationship a, a few years ago where I, I, it's like, I remember watching him do something and knowing that I could do it better and, and just watching it and, and sitting on the, that part of me that would just take over and, and just like breathing and receiving and relaxing into my receptive, open feminine nature. And, and just like allowing myself to receive that. And then, you know, it, it only took an extra second. It's not like, is that long or anything? You know, it's not like it's actually that big of a deal. I just got to relax that. And, and that's kind of a key shift that I really see women that I'm working with begin to make is, is that Jedi move of being the one to relent first. Mm -hmm. Like that's really a quality that um, this type of woman can develop is the choice to relent, the choice to submit, the mm -hmm. choice to surrender. Even if he's not yet displaying, you know, cosmic God consciousness level leadership yet. <laughs> Right. Cause that's a lot to expect from somebody. Sure and one of the reasons why I love talking about the Enneagram paired with relationships so much is, is exactly what you were describing there through what I'm picking up on is right. Really deep self-awareness uh, from a lot of different perspectives, not just the Enneagram type eight, because I'm sure that a lot of different types on the Enneagram could relate with what you just shared. So so what are some of the ways that you've found that connection with self and, and the awareness that you were just describing? Yeah. Connection with self and self-awareness is a very internal journey. I find that when I, you know, when I work with people in this culture is they're so sped up, like they're moving on overdrive. They're speaking on overdrive. Everything is happening fast and loud and at this like up here frequency and 
you know, my, my path of awakening is the erotic path. And so through working with sexual erotic energy and through working with intimacy, the energy that is often just vibrating really loud and metally up here begins to drop down deeper into the body. And through the embodiment, one gains a greater sense of themselves and, and who and what they really are beyond personality, beyond anything that the Enneagram could touch, right? It's mm. like it's like a different level of internal knowing. And so through something I call original language, original language is the language that we knew uh, when we were babies automatically, but we tend to forget as adults. Original language is breath, movement, sound, touch. Very simple. But these four things allow us to, when we bring our cultivated presence and attention internally into these very simple embodiment practices, we gain a greater awareness of what's actually going on internally. Like what pattern am I engaged in or am I in surrender to, you know, the truth of all that is flowing through me? And, 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 I, and I believe it's one or the other. We're in our personality or we're in our essence. And, um, you know, I, I, so the path of self-cultivation, um, I, I look at from a few different perspectives. And one is that embodiment perspective. Um, another one is from the perspective of energy. So one of the lineages that I have studied is Taoism. And in, in Taoism, we look at energy as a multidimensional resource that is the fuel for everything. So the constant awareness and exploration of one's own energy is, is an endlessly fascinating journey. And, I, and, and there's so many different things that we can do with energy and, and be with in, in connection with energy, like storing energy, cultivating energy, harnessing energy. I mean, there's all these different ways of working with the energy that is actually in our body. And so I think for many people, um, there's a, just a, you know, in, in our culture, the, the dominant programming is to be in your head, to just be very mentally focused, cognitively focused. And, you know, I work with a lot of people who've gone through, you know, a significant amount of therapy that was, you know, cognitive in nature. And when they actually start to touch the somatic, when they actually start to touch the energetic nature of their body, their sexuality, their spirituality, their physicality, it, it opens everything that they learned mentally and it becomes an, an embodied experience that then permeates in, into everywhere else in their life. But the, the, 
the pathway, it's like, we must go, we must go in, into the body. And, um, and that's where, you know, there's, it's, it can be painful. You know, there's an emotional layer, right? So there's the mental layer and then there's an emotional layer that one must actually like drop beneath to really enter the body. Like emotions are kind of the decoy. And then Mm -hmm. we also, we also see a lot of, a lot of people that get really hijacked by their own emotional system in relationship, right? And different Enneagram types have different tendencies with this, but we, it's like, if we're hijacked in our emotional system, then we're not really in true direct experience of our own energy, our own presence, our own embodiment, our desire. And, and often, you know, it's like people say they have low libido or they, or they say they, you know, they can't communicate with their partner or they say that they can't speak up for themselves or they don't, they don't know what they want, or they feel disconnected or depressed. All of it comes back to the relationship first with one's own body. And then the way that your mind body system interacts with the other mind body systems. And we can really unravel that and, and create a level of coherence and alignment, um, when someone's ready quite easily and quite quickly. Yeah, that really resonates with me. Thank you very much. Um, I spent about 18 months in cognitive behavior therapy, which really did keep me in my head a lot. And then when I decided to take a short break from just counseling in general and from men's work, cause there's definitely a, a an appropriate time for rest between those periods of work. Um, I was able to get, get into the body a little bit more, a little bit better, you know, back to the jujitsu practice, which is part of my embodiment practice. And then what you're touching on about that emotional layer reminds me of a, a guided meditation I was going through earlier today that emotions are like house guests. We invite them in and there's, there's an opportunity for us to to have this experience with them, to learn what they're here to teach us. You know, emotions are messengers, energy and motion. I've heard it called before. Mm -hmm. Can you expand a little bit more on the somatic experience that you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that as emotions are, are, are messengers, um, and, and house guests to like invite over and have a conversation with, but, but not to then merge with the house guests and be like, wait, I am this house guest. <laughs> it's like, no, let it, let them leave. You know, like the neighbors that stay forever, right? You want the house guests to leave eventually. Um, they aren't meant, they're meant to be like weather. I look at them like weather, you know, they, they, they come and go and they're always happening. So it's like, if you want to get bent out of a shape about the weather that's occurring, you can do that but it's going to be constantly changing. And, and this is really, um, the, the awareness of the feminine. So, you know, we live in a very masculine dominated culture that in many ways is actually the shadow or distortion of the masculine, not the pure, true essence of masculine. And, um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of shadow feminine going on as well, but there's, there's this predominant energy of, of masculine, right? And the masculine is all about like 
knowing and going in a particular direction and knowing what's going on and um, is really not interested in the deep, dark well of the unknown. And I believe that the deeper aspects of our being arise from the involuntary layer of, of our, of our body, which is sensation. So emotion is a layer that one must pass through to really begin to tune into sensation on, on a deeper level and sensation arrives, arises from the soma. So it arises from the, the, the greater, um, the, the field of the mind body system, it, it arises from the unconscious, right? And, and 95% of our behaviors, actions, thoughts, and feelings also arise from the unconscious. So we can really begin to wake up and become lucid in our experience of being human and receive more of our power, receive more of the life force, more of the energy and pleasure and existence that is just flowing all the time. When we relax into a, a, a space of a receptive space of, of, of really allowing the involuntary pulse of life to, to move through and, and, and just like, just like beginning to track it, beginning to even register it. So I think that's, that's something for people. If, if people are listening to this and they're like, what is she talking about? I mean, the first, the first thing that you can, that you can do is just begin to notice the things that are happening in your body without you doing anything. There's a lot of involuntary stuff happening constantly. So, you know, in, in different types of meditation practice and, and just mind body awareness, you know, you begin to open this, these, these experiences that, that can, can actually be um, quite magical, you know, and, and think, things that seem impossible can happen. Like I remember one time I was, um, I was meditating and I had this experience of my body flipping perpendicular and then, you know, rising above and, 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 and my, you know, my awareness, I shouldn't say my body. It was like my, my being, you know, my, mm -hmm. my unseen mm -hmm. soul being rising up above and, and like at this like sideways angle. And I was just like, whoa, like it was, it was visceral. Like it was a visceral experience that I'd never felt before. And it's, it's like when you feel something like that, it, it makes the impossible possible. Like it makes things that seem uh, like a miracle possible, right? And, and, and that widens our experience of reality and allows us to receive something that we might not have even had a context for before just like one little involuntary, you know, thing. And this, this is, you know, this is a big reason why I, you know, I study and teach the, the path of a conscious orgasm practice. Mm -hmm. 
because orgasm is, is a wonderful place where a lot of very mystical, unusual things can happen when we allow ourselves to really, really be in deep soul intimacy and connection with our partner or with ourselves, and, and, and d- develop a practice of really uh, receiving the, the kind of codes and downloads and, and information that might come in that we didn't previously know or, or, or think was possible. Right. I mean, this is, it's like channeling, um, channeling can happen. And I mean, you can, you can actually, you know, in different types of cervical orgasm as a woman, you can have a D a complete DMT download, you know, from your pineal gland come into your body and, and, and it's like, you just start seeing things from an altered space that with enough practice becomes like a different channel. Like, it's like, I'll just shift over to a more ordinary consciousness channel, if that's what's needed, or shift over to a non-ordinary altered consciousness channel, if that's what's needed. It's, it's like actually like learning how to play with more of our range. So I realized uh, that was a yeah. lot I just went into. <laughs> no, no, uh, like now we're getting somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> the, co- the common thread that I'm hearing in, in a lot of what you're sharing today is, is a theme of surrender. Because I don't, I don't envision anyone being able to get to that place that you were just describing without surrendering in order to receive. Like that's part of the experience. And and earlier you were talking about operating at a higher vibrational level and then and then a partner who would have to operate at an even bigger or taking up more space and then you said something that was very important that it's like not their job to do that and it brings us back to the common thread of self-awareness and surrender and you were describing a new level of consciousness so there's not really a question in there, but I wanted to continue the dialogue on um, how how it's possible to surrender in order to receive that that download that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. So good news, bad news is um, it will feel like dying. It will feel like dying, and. This is, this is the cultivation. This is very relevant right now in this current time we find ourselves in because there's a huge fear of death. And the fear of death is the very thing that is in the way of truly living. Mm-hmm. So to surrender in this way requires our sweet little ego who likes to run the show to actually die a little bit. Like, it's like, it's, it's like that, that the ego death is really what precedes this kind of orgasmic opening and awakening. Mm -hmm. And it's, and so, and, and so, you know, we, we, we get to meet our, our fear. We get to meet our terror. We get to meet the grief, the rage. I mean, this is what's all coming up right now in the collective without getting into details, right? The energies that are happening right now is people are confronting their fear of death. And 
in my perspective, what an opportunity, what a gift. This is, we are in the middle of a shamanic awakening and initiation right now into this energy, into being, being able to steward the life force that is flowing through our bodies in every moment. But we haven't been very good stewards of that as mm -hmm. a whole. No, and no we haven't been from it. Yeah. Right. And we haven't been in connection with our home, our planet with that. We have, it, there, there's many parts that have been fragmented and, and disconnected and they are those, those that has happened from ego distortion and from the distortion of, of the ego, there has just been this, uh, unfolding of, um, layers and layers of, of, of confusion and manipulation and fear. And when you really get down all the way to the bottom of it, right. When you really get down, it's fear of death. Mm -hmm. And so fear of death is, is, is one of those pieces that, um, I mean, personally, I, I try to die every day you know, find, find, find a part of me that I am willing to let die every day. And every time I do that, I mean, that is my practice. Every time I do that, something, there's more space for something new to emerge. Mm. And often there's a tremendous amount of grief down there at the bottom with death, fear of death. I mean, is, is humanity is ready to grieve. Yeah. I mean, we are, there is, there, you, you, we, we, we can't find ourselves in this situation and not have a collective well of grief that is ultimately just wanting to move through the body. Nothing wrong with it. Just move through the body. And, you know, so there's, there's this, there's these moments. It's like, I, I, I have this kind of joke that I make. That's actually not a joke. It's actually true. But of like you're you're not really living unless you flop around on the on the floor like a fish sometimes, because to me the experience of of actually letting go of the things that are holding the things that are binding the things that are constricting and contracting and limiting and just keeping people stuck in these states of depressed overwhelmed anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of that can be released through the body, through original language, again, breath, movement, sound, and touch. And, and it's like actually letting the body unwind as weird as it looks and letting it shake and letting it move and letting the, the, the sobs come through, letting the grief move, like actually confronting this, this deep underbelly of grief and fear of death that is really driving everything right now. Mm -hmm. So coming back to your inquiry, it, it it's, this is, this is a path. This is a, a chosen, this is a devotional path, a chosen devotional path of awakening. Um, and it's not for everybody, right? Like it's, there's, there's um, like some people can just take little pieces of this, right? But they're not going to go all the way with it. Others, others are going to hear this invitation and and just know, like just know in their heart, in their body, that 
they're they're ready to to begin living in a completely new way. And for those people, there you know there are there are tools. Yeah, thank you very much. That was that was tremendous. I appreciate it. Uh, what I what I heard you talking about there is is dying over and over and over again. That ego death is multitude multitude of of opportunities for us to go through that experience. So I can relate so much to the grief that you were uh, describing uh, collectively and then individually too. You know, I've seen a lot of grief show up in in my life over the last couple of years, grieving a lifestyle change. Um, the Boulder shooting at the King Supers brought up a lot of grief for me. Um, a breakup in that time frame, a lot of grief, and then grieving grieving the old person that I thought I was too. Yeah. So th- I love, thank you for I love bringing that, you- that to the surface for me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, and I love that you that you bring that because. Um, it's, it's the pathway. It's, it's like the delivery canal. It's like grief is literally like the birth canal. So there's like the death. And then there's this like grief that carries you through or that carries you through the, to the death, however that works for you. But it, it, grief is the great deliverer. It's like, it's like, she's the midwife that, that then just brings us into this new, sometimes very uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar place. And if we feel incredibly uncomfortable right now, as many people do, whether, you know, things are happening personally um, or collectively or a combination of both and, and all things, it, it's, it's such a gift to be in this space of extreme discomfort. It's like the more we can learn, I my my personal practice as I I mean, you know, everything, like you know, like you said, the you know, death and you know, breakups and you know, just pain and the person that I thought I was and friendships ending. I mean, just all of that, right? That's that's you know, such beautiful things to to grieve. And when we're on this awakening path, that's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And that it it's actually it it's actually bringing us into our new life. Like it's bringing us into that new place. And the new place is sometimes so sensitive and so vulnerable because it's new. It's like an exposed wound or like a brand new baby that's just like crying because it's just like, what is this? I was just in this other place and now I'm in this place. And you know, it's, it's, it can be just um, such a deep, sacred moment of unraveling and, mm-hmm. and really coming into connection with the greater thing that is holding us through all of it. Right. And that's really the, the, one of the gifts I see in this time and space we find ourselves in is the, the awareness of the, the arms of love that are here through it all. And the more just painful, traumatic stuff we go through, the more we actually get to see if we pay attention that something was holding us all along. Right. Yeah. That, that hits home for me. And I think back on that period of grief, you know, the, the grief was always there, 
um, what I needed to do, what I needed to open up to was to invite the grief in so that it could flow and process through me. Um, and the challenge with the eight is that their, their fear is that vulnerability that it takes in order to surrender and receive the gift that is grieving. Yes. Oh God. I'm just, you're reminding me of the first time. I mean, I remember when my grief like actually opened. I mean, it's like, it's like a lifetime, right? I mean, I was in my, you know, it was 10 years ago. I was in my early 20, I think I was, I was about 24. You know, it was like 10 years ago. And I was in, you know, was in a program was, you know, was in a, a kind of um, a container of sorts where lots of grieving and, you know, primal energy and, and just movement of life force was happening. And it, it was like a well opened. And I, I, I basically, I just sobbed for, for like two days straight. It was just kind of like, okay, we're going to continue on. And Jamie's just going to stay over there and keep <laughs> you know, it's like the well was so full you know, and I, 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 and, and it just needed to actually move. It needed to get current with the current moment. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's a part of this journey is for, for anyone who, you know, whether they're an eight or not, but if there's someone who resonates with holding back their grief, you know, and not allowing themselves to feel it, like you said, not inviting it in, there's, there's going to be a period of time of getting current with your grief. And it's like, you just have to have space for that right. because all of that energy needs to move. And until it does, it's like, and this goes with rage. I mean, this goes with, you know, different energies as well. This also goes with sexual energy. I mean, this goes with energy that's stuck. There's a kink in the hose. When it comes through, it's going to be a waterfall, right? It's just going to be a waterfall and it's going to be uncontained, right? So it's like finding a place and a space that can hold you in that uncontained experience of feeling completely out of control, feeling like you losing your mind, like it's never going to end. And then one day it ends, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. one, one moment it ends and, and you become current. And, and there's, there's a sense of like, when things are current, it moves through quickly. It's fast. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't take two days for me to like touch the grief. It, it, it actually just moves through in a wave. Um, and transmutes quickly, transmutes changes into something else quickly. Um, one of the ways that I, I look at this in working with people in relationship is I give them the analogy of the um, a kettle, a kettle of boiling water. And if your kettle is all the way full of water and you turn, you know, you turn it on boiling, it's going to immediately start exploding over very quickly. Right. And you see this in relationships when there's a backlog of, you know, resentment and anger and grief and feelings of dismissal and feelings of not being met and needs and desires not being met and things being unsaid, the kettle's full and it's going to, someone's going to, you know, your partner's going to trigger that and it's going to explode over immediately. Right. And then you have these kind of spiraling fights um, where when you get current, the water in your kettle gets down to the bottom. And when there's, when there's just a little water in your kettle, you can turn it on boiling and it doesn't boil over. It'll actually evaporate. 
you, you know, like it just, it just evaporates. And, um, so it's, you know, it's a little like what happens when our, you know, our emotional energetic system is not yet current with this present moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. And I, I can envision that the, the water boiling in the kettle is going to make a whistle, but it's not going to hurt anything. Right. It's not going to burn your hand when you reach for it as if it were boiling over. And when you were sharing, it sounded as if you had a really safe container for that grief to flow through you. Yeah. And, and I have, I have a container, um, through my coach and, you know, there's, there's weekly call and in the weekly calls, every man gets his opportunity to share. And at the end of one of them, near the end of one of them, one of the men in the share, uh, Dave, you know, you, you hold space for us so well, cause I just turn on the zoom and, and then I facilitate that's my role. He's like, Dave, who's taking care of you right now? What do you need right now? And you know, the, the well of emotions, the fullness of emotions came out in that moment. And, you know, it's zoom. So I can just click mute and say, Hey guys, I need a moment and let those tears fall in a safe, in a safe place like that. Mm. You know, there's not a lot of people that have, well, there aren't enough people that have that opportunity or that place to go to. I love that. I mean, and this is, it's so important for the space holders to, to, to be held. And that includes mothers, you know, that includes business owners, that includes those who everyone's coming to. And, um, and, and, you know, that absolutely includes me and, uh, you know, part, part of my, like the later part of my life really involved me surrendering to other people's support and just letting myself actually be held like I, like I was in that, in that space that I mentioned. And, and that's a big part since that's been such an important part of my vulnerability coming through and my trust in life and trust in myself and, and trust in like that everything's actually just going to be okay. The knowing of my power. I mean, so many, so many aspects that are so, um, just like every day to me now, came from the conscious practice of allowing myself to be held in a group of women. And Mm. so that's what I do now, Mm. you know, is, is, is whole groups of women where it's like, we can actually come together and be in the real honest truth of what's moving through us in some of the most sensitive places that exist, which is in our own desire and sexuality and turn on our power, you know, it's like how to actually be in deeper connection with our full spectrum feminine nature without like trying to manage it all the time because we're trying to hold the roof up for everybody when like the roof holds itself, but we somehow think we need to hold it for everyone or it's going to fall down. Right. And it's like to really retrain that kind of like independent um, woman who's just trying to do it all on her own. You know, it's, it's kind of the quintessential eight story. So I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's so resonant for so many women in our culture right now. Like this is a narrative um, that is that I'm seeing be healed and I'm seeing 
I'm seeing women learn how to receive again and, and, and they're receiving what they, what they have always wanted in their relationships of 10 years. I mean, it's like, I talked to a a woman the other day. That's like, this is the thing I always wanted him to do. And I've been nagging for all these years and I just did it for myself. And somehow he like got the vibration through that and is now just doing it. And is like, why didn't you ever tell me? (laughs) And that's, and that's what men say, because, you know, they, they really, it's like, if he loves you, he just wants to please you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. We do appreciate clear, direct, honest communication as the masculine. And I've been facing this, this realization that I had an opportunity for growth in that full, in that mindset of like, yes, I want clear, honest, direct communication and I can ask for it. That's definitely an option. Or I can get very curious and I can get very inquisitive and I can start to tune into that vibration that you were talking about that you're your person you were speaking to the other day was referring to of like, huh, I feel my partner changing. What, what's there? What's new? What's, what's suddenly really attractive about my partner of 10 years that has nothing to do with me, but it kind of inspires me to change. Yeah. You know, and I can still ask for that direct communication. (laughs) Well, I think it's, I think it's like what, what we're speaking about now is a couple that is in coherence working together. I mean, that's, that's what this is, is, is she's like doing her best to communicate directly. Right. And, and he's doing his best to also communicate directly. But sometimes, you know, women, they say women are like the, the crock pot and men are like the microwave. Right. So it can be a little bit more complex for women sometimes, um, especially when we're talking about sexuality and desire. Um, and he is, he's, he's, you know, the, the upgrade, right. That you're speaking of for, for the masculine is, 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 is this curiosity, right. Of, of just being like, how does this crock pot work? How long do you need to turn it on? What things actually turn this crock pot on? Like, you know, and just actually bringing a sense of, of interest to that, you know, and, and there, then you have a healthy communicative relationship. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to know. He's not going to always sense the subtle shift that happened with her. And, and this is something women have to have to really get is he's not a mind reader. He can become more attuned and more intuitive, but he's not a mind reader. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so, you know, she gets to, to communicate about that, but then also from, you know, the, the masculine learning these, these skills of, really deeply listening to the feminine is on a personal and collective scale. Absolutely. What needs to happen right now? Yeah. And it, and it takes getting in touch with the somatic experience that you were talking about earlier in order to become more in tune with it. And I, I like your crock pot analogy because when it's used correctly, it can get really steamy and hot underneath that <laughs> lid. So I, I know that uh, I got a lot of gratitude for you showing up and, and having this conversation with me today. And if your message resonates with people, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yes, absolutely. I have a couple websites. Um, my main website for all of my 
one-on-one work is jamieelizabeththompson.com. And my website for all of my women's groups and programs and retreats is awakenedwoman.life. And then I also post a lot on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is holistic sex coach and Facebook is facebook.com slash Miss Jamie Thompson or Miss Jamie Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes below. And, and we got connected through Traver and Perry, but ultimately it was Instagram that brought us together. And when you commented on a post that I made about subtypes, I would have never guessed that you were an eight. And, and I, now that we've gotten the chance to speak for close to an hour now, I can understand that that's from, it's a reflection back to me that I can recognize the integration and the work and the self-awareness that you bring uh, to your experience. And, and I have a clearer picture of, of why that was not my first impression. So thank you for giving that to me today. Mm, thank you. Thank you. I love that because I do believe that with this, and I, I don't even believe it's just what happens, that the more we integrate, the more we become the hologram of all the numbers. And we're not just stuck in one of them, right? But it's mm. like, we're actually, uh, we are the Enneagram. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we have all nine types within us. And, and a key point that we don't have enough time to talk to uh, today, but uh, love to have you back and explore this a little bit more of personality uh, comes from the Latin root word for mask. And when we have ego death, we can eliminate that mask that our personality is uh, to get to a keyword you used earlier of, of our essence. And when we follow up, I'd love to talk about personality and essence and how they're, how they're um, different and the same in their relationship with each other. Love that. Love that conversation. Thank cool. you. Thank you again, Jamie. Um, appreciate you showing up today and having this conversation with me. Yes. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Talk soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. It was a pleasure and honor to host Jamie Elizabeth Thompson on the podcast today. If you're looking for a little more support, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at the challenger podcast, where I'm available to answer your questions that come up around love, life, and relationships. Until next week, this is Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado, wishing you health and happiness wherever you're at in the world.